John 12, 32 says, Jesus speaking, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men, King James says, I like the new King James, it says, I will draw all peoples to myself. I will draw all peoples to myself. If I, Jesus said, let's read it together, and I, if I am lifted up, now all those who don't have a voice because of a lot of shouting and worshiping that's happened, you can just stay quiet, rest your little voices for a little while. But everybody who's got a good voice, let's hear it. You ready? And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. That, that, ought to be, that ought to be considered today as a serious point of pondering. What did Jesus mean? We'll talk about that. So glad you're all here today. Would you just, you don't have to shake hands right now because we don't have time for that, but would you just, right before we pray, would you just turn and acknowledge your neighbors? Let them know you're glad. Just, just a little head nod is fine. We're not all standing on an elevator facing the buttons. And it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Jesus said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. You are welcome to take your seats. I, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I don't know what we're going to do in September when everybody gets back from vacation. We're not going to have space in this sanctuary for them all, so you're going to have to start getting, uh, getting here early and uh, getting your seats. I'm so glad for the wonderful crowd assembled here today, and I think it's because we know that here at Calvary there is an opportunity for our souls to be released from the bonds of earth on a weekly basis throughout the days of the week. We have freedom today to peer into the face of God and experience miracles. I'm believing for miracles today. Brother Masahari, I'm believing God's going to let there be help for you this week like you didn't expect. Amen. I really am. I really am. So in Jesus' name, I, 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 just, I just hope and pray everyone is here today to open your hearts, open your minds, and, and, and let, let, me preach, let me preach a message. Deliver a sermon today. That is what I've titled so simply, How Great Is Our God? I feel like here in the summer of 2021, it would be very beneficial for us today to have a refreshed look at the grandeur, the majesty, and the endlessness of our God. Now, let's start with this. How many of you have ever faced the challenge of writing a play? Raise your hand if you've ever wrote a play before. Not very many, but if you have, you know this fact. In writing, beginning is just half the battle. But in playwriting, that's not quite true. Because act one is where you lay out the setting, the characters, and the plot. But act two is a completely different story if you'll let me use that expression. A common expression among producers is this. How's the second act? 
Because introducing a story, kicking it off, teeing it off is much easier than telling a story. You see, in a three-act play, the first act sets up the crisis. The third act, you skip over the second now, what I'm sharing with you right now. The first act, you set up the crisis. Then the third act, you have a resolution. But it's that middle sandwiched in second act that is the dark night of the soul. It's where the protagonist struggles through possible solutions in act two. The author of The Great Gatsby, his name was Scott Fitzgerald, he once said, listen to this, there are no second acts in American lives. And here's what he meant. Americans have little patience with the in-between stuff. <laughs> the transitions, the detours, the struggles, the abandonment, the angst, the struggles through the possible solutions. We want to go straight from crisis to resolution. Anybody like going straight from crisis to resolution? Raise your hand. <laughs> That's human. And it's truly American. I don't want to have to do all that middle second act stuff. But here's the point. It's in that second act that the change, the metamorphosis, the reinvention takes place. And to abandon the second act, to leave it out, is to shortchange the whole story. So, let me, let me just tell you in clarification points here, there, there would only have been a fisherman named Simon had he not had a eureka moment when he cried, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. There would, only, there, there would not be so many women named Mary today had it not been for a young lady who told an angel, Be it unto me according to thy word. There would only be a cruel religious zealot by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And he would have lived and died had there not been an encounter in Act 2 for him on the Damascus Road. Woo! Amen, Brother Roy. Praise God for Act 2. That's an inside conversation me and Brother Roy are always having. But there, folks, folks, for Act 1, when it closes... Act 2, is, that's, only, that's, that's only when Act 2 can begin to bring about something that's valuable, something that's meaningful and lasting, that needs, that is needed in the story to bring life to a successful conclusion. So how about this today? Let's not get all stirred up about a resolution. Let's kind of start focusing here today on the fact that our God is a God who says, he who endures to the end will be saved. Now the race is not to the swift, right? Nor to the strong, but to the one who endures to the end. Look with me at, at Acts 26, 12, talking about Paul. He said, this is his testimony. While I was thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, I was going to go, I was going to put Christians to, I was going to take them to task, carry them off to prison, families, moms, dads, and children that were Christians. That was my job. But verse 13 says, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me. And those who journeyed with me, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me 
and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's a futile effort. Paul said, so I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But arise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Jesus, Almighty God, said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Watch this. To open their eyes. In other words, their eyes are closed. They don't yet know who I really am. They have not yet had an opportunity to grasp the greatness of Jesus Christ. So I need Paul to get up from the ground, out of the dust, and go into the lives, the minds, the hearts, and the cities of the Gentiles and to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So, this is Act 3 stuff, isn't it? When we think about the future, the future, Apostle Paul, he encountered Jesus Christ. He was blinded by a bright light from heaven, and he finally sees for the first time. And he is, I believe he is seized by a possession, a passion, rather. Seized by a passion to know, who is this Jesus who shined a light and knocked me to the ground? Who is this Jesus who is speaking to me in an audible voice from heaven and Paul's life is consumed by the desire to truly know him. I want to join Paul in that desire today. I want the Lord to give me a passion to know Jesus Christ, to know Almighty God. He's the writer. Paul is the writer of 13 or 14 books in the New Testament. And he had a lot to say with all those books, but... Everything in Paul's life was defined by the reality of that scripture we just read, that story, the Damascus Road experience. Flat on his back, Paul was gripped by the overwhelming greatness of God. He was gripped by it. Until, and this is my contention today, until any of us have really been gripped by the greatness of God, we will never really be godly. And we will really never have a hunger for God's presence face to face, but it's when we begin to have that overwhelming passion and we're starting to feel the grip of God's power and we see with our own eyes the greatness of God, then you know what it's going to do? It's going to make you someone who wants to pray harder and fast longer, give more and be more diligent than ever in your worship to God. It's when you really know the overwhelming greatness of God. How great is our God? How can, it be, how can it be said? For Ephesians 3, 1, Ephesians 3, 1, this is one of Paul's writings right here. He said, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, he says in verse 8, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. Watch this. 
that I should preach among the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? General population outside of the Jews. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9, and to make all see. I wish somebody would just say, God, get your big God fingers out today on this morning service and start prying my eyelids open. <laughs> to make all see. What is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Now I want everybody to read verse 21. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Glory to God. That's what we mean when we say glory to God. To him be glory. Doesn't matter the generation. To him be glory. It doesn't matter what part of the world you're in. It doesn't matter what time you're in. But him to, be, to him be glory. So Paul, Paul called himself the prisoner of Christ. At this time he was shackled. At this time Paul was bound. When he wrote these words to the Ephesian church, he was, he was in a prison writing by the light of candle. But he was gripped by how great is our God. I think Paul would have liked the song, How Great Is Our God. Because he was gripped by the greatness of God. Now, now across America today, pulpits, pulpits are going to be speaking about all kinds of stuff. I, I can just picture it. I can imagine it. There are going to be pulpits preaching about critical race theory and the Delta variant of COVID-19 and vaccines, gun and immigration reform. Who knows? On and on and on. I, sometimes I wonder if pulpits that you just happen to scan through when you're when you're watching stuff on YouTube or wherever, it makes you wonder if they just don't look at Drudge Report or Fox News or whatever, and they get all their sermon titles out of the information. Because, but here's the point. They're all good subjects, of course, and, and if these and other issues personally affect you, you may wish that today, here in this pulpit, I would speak on these things. But, hold on. Hang on. I operate from the maxim of the Grecians who found Philip, the disciple of Jesus. And the, these Grecians, these said, this is my maxim today. You look up at Pastor Haman, you see that's his maxim. That's his maxim. Here it is. They said, sir, we would see Jesus. I want us to operate. I pray that God would always help me to operate from that maxim. I don't want to show people the news. I don't want to show them a twist or a spin or give them my thoughts or my feedback. I'd rather today in the sanctuary of the Most High God, the house of the Lord, I'd rather let people come see Jesus. Open our eyes. Open those eyes. How great. Woo! How great. This is, this is my, my point today that I, I pray the Lord will help us to accomplish this in speaking this morning to you is that you may encounter the greatest story ever told of how God came to this earth because of you, everybody say me, and for me. Everybody say and for me. So, one of the 
preachers of yesteryear wrote these words. A.W. Pink said these words. Listen to this. How vastly different is the God of Scripture from the lowercase God of the average pulpit? I mainly listen to sermons only when I'm in church. But I read thousands of sermons and sermon material every year. I love sermon studies and structure. But here's where I think we're headed. I'm struck by how infinitesimally small the God of America has become. It burdens me. It brings me to tears. The messages preached present a diminished deity and produces sons and daughters that are the children of a lesser God, a God of convenience and comfort, not the great God of the Bible. Now, now, now this is a perfect place for me to say that half century ago, a biblical scholar, translator J.B. Phillips, he wrote a small book entitled your God is too small. Now, Phillips argued in this book that the modern age, and how much truer this is today than it was when he wrote it, the modern age has created concepts of God that diminish his true nature. So, so here's what happens. Adults end up clinging to God in a box notion of a child limiting God to be a resident policeman. That's it. Or a magician. I rush to him when I want some magic in my life. Or a fun hater. Grand old man. And so forth. All of these are so insufficient. And all of these are insulting and derogatory to who the God of the universe really is. I just want to stand here today and say, like old brother Peyton used to say, I'm glad I know who Jesus really is. Woo! I'm glad I know who Jesus really is. He's not any of those things. So, so here, here's what I was speaking about. Right, right before we had prayer in the altar and we prayed for all of these needs and we're expecting miracles now. But this is, this is A.W. Tozer he, in his writing called The Knowledge of the Holy, he wrote these words. Listen to this. This is so important. How's the lobotomy coming, everyone? He said, the first step down for any church is taken when it surrenders its high opinion of God. The highest obligation lying upon the Christian church today, Tozer says, the highest obligation is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of Him. In all her prayer and labors, this should have first place. Before handing out boxes to the hungry, 
And before knocking on doors and inviting people, before doing anything we do for God, we ought to say, God, I want to make sure that the highest obligation I'm attending to is making sure to purify and elevate my concept of you. I want my understanding of God, the God of the universe, the creator, the one who died for my sin. I want you to be. So, so, so think about it. Think about it. If the first step down is to surrender your high opinion of God, it follows that the first step up is to regain a high opinion of God. So how about today we say, God, get a hold of me today. Shake me up. Give my head a little bit of operation today and reintroduce me today to the high opinion of who you really are and let me recognize that you as the God of the, head, the, God of the heavens is still, you're still in charge. Oh God Almighty, help us in Jesus' name. Come on and help me lift the thanksgiving to the great God this morning. Oh Lord, you're good. Elevate my opinion. Elevate my mind. Elevate me, Lord Jesus, to think and to know who you really are. Woo! Hallelujah! My, 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 my. Lord God, give me that obsession that you gave the Apostle Paul. Seize me with that calling, Lord. Let it become an obsession to know God and reveal God to my world. Paul said, I want to make all see the unsearchable riches of Christ. He said, I want people to know him as I now know him. Paul closes that first half of his letter to the Ephesians with what's called a doxology, and I love it. I love it. We just read it. A doxology is a saying of praise to close out a thought. Doxology. Everybody say doxology. In Paul's case, we leave the highlands of worship of chapter 3 to the lowlands of practical living in chapter 4. And he says here right in the middle, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. See, you came in here with a certain asking level of challenge for God. You came in here with a certain level of thinking about what can, God can do. Because it all reflects back on how great God is to you right now. And if the world has diminished who you think God is, then your thinking is going to be, well, God, I, I need you to, you know, heal my hangnail. And Lord, and I need you to help me make it through the week. And I need you to just be a fun hater, God in a box. Whatever you need to do. No, no, no. See, that's where the world is today. But we need to say, God, we're going to stand with Paul. And we know the kind of God we are serving. We know who we are serving. We want to do like Paul. And that is have this view of God that is elevated. Elevated. And to be gripped by his greatness. Everybody say his greatness. So, now let's do a quick little sanctified checklist before we leave. Walk with me just a few moments, and I want to go with you through this sanctified checklist and make sure we're all tracking together in this process of thinking and this operation in our minds. First thing to do, examine our view of God. Number one, examine our view of God. 
let me just ask you, what, what do you think of God? Okay, now let's just pretend like we're, I'm just shaking your hand and we're visiting and there's no crowd. I want to ask you, what is your view of God? Big? Small? Able? Unable? Is he merciful or merciless? Is he the almighty one or the anemic one? See, we're all going to fall somewhere in that continuum. Rest assured, Almighty God has always had all power. That's not my point. It's this, that in our minds and in our daily lives and in the church, we easily diminish His power. And we constantly commit the heinous sin of what the Old Testament says, limiting the Holy One of Israel. Literally putting a governor on God. Because we govern Him with our own concept and our view of God. That's why you came to church today. I hope you can recognize you're sitting in that pew right now for such a time as this, for such an important time as this, to hear that you're serving a God who is greater than your mind could ever comprehend. I'm going to ask you again, how great is your God? How great is your God? How great is He Almighty? Is He... Is he big? Is he able? Is he able today? Oh, God, help us not to commit the sin of limiting and governing the Holy One of Israel. Beware in your prayer above everything. Beware of limiting God, not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. <laughs> I know what he can do. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, don't ever say those words. I know what he can do. Because you don't. <laughs> Truly, we've got to elevate. I sometimes think we try to make God so accessible, so attainable, that we create a lowercase God who bears no relationship to who he really is. So, so I, know, I know there have been a lot of writers, authors, in times past who have tried so hard to capture that God is greater than we can imagine. Chronicles of Narnia. How many of you have ever e either read or seen Chronicles of Narnia? Raise your hand. So you know who Aslan is, right? Aslan's the lion who represents Christ, Jesus. And in Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis tried to capture this whole greatness and grandeur and marvel of who Jesus is. The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, Mr. Beaver is trying to describe what Aslan is like. And Susan interrupts him to say, is he quite safe? And Mr. Beaver replies, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. <laughs> See how a little bit mind-expanding that is? God is not safe. Huh. Not to our human nature and our flesh and our comfort and our convenience and woo, he's not safe but he's good don't you like that i i like it when a story can start or a message or maybe a sermon like this today in jesus name by god's grace can start to help jog our minds a little bit and help us to think now now c.s lewis wrote in the horse and his boy the lead character is shasta he becomes lost in a fog and in his lostness 
Shasta senses a presence walking with him, and the boy confesses that lions have chased him. His invisible companions proclaim, companion proclaims himself to be that single lion that Shasta has seen. And, and here's what that Aslan lion says. Listen to these words by C.S. Lewis. I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. It was, I was the cat who comforted you through the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you, could, you should reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion, you do not remember, who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat, wakeful at midnight, to receive you. Now, if nothing else, maybe that'll make you want to go back and enjoy some Chronicles of Narnia and see it in a whole new light. Who is God? What is God? How great is our God? What is He doing? You don't know what God can do. He's doing stuff that right now that you don't know about. So don't say, I know what God can do. He's good. He's not tame. He's that silent force marching alongside. And, and, and this, this last one, let's just, you just got to bear with me for a moment because these are so good. The prince In Prince Caspian, Return to Narnia, Lucy, the one year, one year older, she makes a return to Narnia now that she's an older girl. And after a series of difficult trials, she happens upon Aslan, that beautiful lion who is representative of Christ. She sees him in a forest clearing. She races to him, throws her arms around his neck, and buries her face in his mane. Aslan says, welcome, child. And she says, Aslan, you're bigger. It's because... You're older, little one. And she says, not because you are. And he says, I'm not. But each year you grow, you'll find me bigger. Isn't that good? Each year you grow, you find me bigger. How many of you could say that this time last year, God was not the big God you see him as today who is the pandemic paralyzing the pandemic overcaring and transcending God 2019 2020 2021 here we are God is not safe silent force marching along beside each year I grow I find him bigger so now you're looking at me and saying hmm pastor Heyman thank you very much for C.S. Lewis is that really scriptural is that really the right view of God? Well, I want to cheerfully admit today <laughs> that I, I can't possibly plumb the depths of God in just a few minutes. The subject cannot even be wrapped up with a nice bow and a single message. No way. But I would say that even contemplating the subject, just stand, spending a few moments here today contemplating the subject, carries incredible rewards. Are you all ready for some rewards for contemplating this? Have you, have you looked at Job twenty two twenty one lately? What does Job twenty two twenty one say? You're going to like this. Now, acquaint yourself with Him. Capital H-I-M. <laughs> and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. I'm glad I know 
who Jesus is. I'm so glad I know who Jesus really is. If you don't know, you need to jump into Job 22, 21 and give it a great salute, click your heels and say, yes, sir. I am here today on this Sunday morning to acquaint myself with him, be at peace, and watch good come. Hey, I'm not making this stuff up. You think I popped that in the, in the canon of Scripture sometime in the last week? No, it's been there all along. Acquaint yourself with him. That's why on a summer Sunday, we stop what we're doing and we step into the house of the Lord and we say, God, we're not going to be just like the run-of-the-mill people of the world. We're going to go to church and become acquainted. We want to know you and we want to know you in the power of the cross of Christ. I know there are people among us who might boast of their knowledge of the stock market, their understanding of the intricacies of their chosen vocation or profession. And Some say, well, I want you to know I understand human nature and I know what makes people tick. Well, hold on, hold on. Jeremiah 9.24, let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. I wish somebody just grit their teeth and say, God, I have been living beneath my privilege. This message is about to change me because I want to know and understand. God said, let him who glories, if you're going to have any reason to boast, glory in this, that you understand and know that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. And everybody say amen. amen. In his great, in Jesus' great high, high priestly prayer, Jesus says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, how are we doing? How's that lobotomy coming? Are we too deep yet? Okay. Seems like everybody's with me. Listen, listen to what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. There is something exceeding improving to the mind in contemplation of the divinity. Exceedingly improving of the mind. It's a subject so vast that all of our thoughts are lost in its immensity. So deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can comprehend and grapple with. In them we feel a kind of self-content and we go on our way with the thought, Behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the solemn exclamation, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as devout, earnest, continuing investigation of the great subject of the deity. Hallelujah. In Him, Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, the deity bodily. To know Jesus is my pursuit. 
and I want you to join me and let's be a people who are on pursuit. here's, Here's why these things are true. It's because you and I were hardwired to commune with deity, to fellowship with God, to walk with him in the cool of the evening just like our forefather Adam and Eve, to hear his voice and to respond to him and say, yes, Lord. So this is your purpose. I, I, I'm going to ask everyone today, can, can you join me? Let's make this our one magnificent obsession in our lives. And that is to say how great is our God. How great is our God. So yes, we, we need to examine our view of God. And then number two, we need to find God in his word I I can't tell you that you'll find God in reason. No, no, no. You'll end up with impersonal idea of powerless understanding. See, if you say I can find God in reason, you'll end up with an impersonal idea that's void of power, completely void of that that, that, that explosive power of knowing who he is. I I didn't say find God in emotion. See, if you want to search your emotions for God, you'll end up with a romantic sentimental notion that excuses everyone and has no character. No, no, no. I didn't say find God in reason. I didn't say find God in emotion. And and I cannot say find God in science. The natural world does not reveal God. Now, some people like to go to the mountains and stand by a riverside and say, I'm going up here to find God. But you can't find God there. I'm going to explain why. Because you'll be drawn to explain creation without a creator. See there? So you can't find God in reason, emotion, science, and here it is. You cannot find God in the marketplace. No, no, no. Someone says, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beats with a immigrant. This is what Wilbur Reese said in, in yesteryear. I don't want him enough to, to, make him, to, to make me love someone who's a foreigner or pick beats with an immigrant. No, no, no. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. No, you can't find him in the marketplace. Here's where we find him. We find him in his word. If you don't have a Bible, let me know. We'll get you a Bible. Everyone here today, you need a Bible. I recommend highly that you have a Bible. If you don't have one in print, get one in soft copy on your smart device. Either way, you need a Bible. Why? 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 Because here's what you can do. When you get your Bible, watch. You can flip right through it to Exodus 15 and verse 11. And you can read like this. Here's what it says. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? See, you can't find that in science. <laughs> you can't find that in emotion. You're not going to be finding that in the marketplace. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness? Who is like you, fearful in praises? Who is like you, doing wonders. This is our God today. I want to ask you, how great is our God? Jesus, help us, I pray. On and on. On and on. 
If you flip your Bible open to Psalms, you're going to find out that God is glorious and majestic. Woo! <laughs> yeah, you're going to find out that He's eternal in existence, and you'll find out He's the judge of all. <laughs> Perfect in righteousness, ever-present guide. He's good in all His deeds. Full of mercy and compassion. Present in all places. He's the fountain of all wisdom. He's the good shepherd. The psalmist said that God accuses humanity with these words. Psalm 50, verse 21. Listen to this. I'm wrapping it up. I want you all to catch this, all right? This is so important. God accuses humanity with these words. Psalm 50, 21. You thought I was like you. But I will rebuke you (laughs) and set your thoughts in order before your eyes and help you see I am not like you. But what we see in the written word is only a fraction. Folks, Genesis to Revelation, it's a fraction. Somebody really join me, wake up, punch your neighbor if they're snoozing and say, we got to get out, figure out who God is here today. Let's not be asleep when we're thinking about who God is on a Sunday morning. I want to see him. I want to know him. Moses asked God his name, and God replied, I am that I am. I am that I am. Somebody go ahead and ask God who you are. He says, I am who I am. Let's all stand as musicians join us today. And I want us to get ready to individually make our way to a place of prayer today. Because I believe the Lord is right. And I believe he has shared an accusation with us that we are guilty of. I thought he was just like me. No, no, no. No, no, no. Here, here's so, this is so important. When you get your Bible and you start reading it, you'll find out that Jesus identified himself Listen to this. He identified himself as the invisible God in flesh. When we couldn't see God, when we couldn't grasp God, when we couldn't understand God, God revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.16, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made you, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For the early church, the revelation of God was found in Jesus Christ. For the late church, the revelation of God is going to be found in Jesus Christ. The transcendent, overall God became imminent. He became close, touchable, seeable in Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul found on the Damascus Road, church. That's what Paul found. He heard. He saw. He recognized. And his life forever was changed in the pursuit to know him. I want to invite you today to make sure that Paul's experience is our own today. We we need to be gripped and seized by the greatness of God. Matthew Henry said, there's an inexhaustible fullness of grace and mercy in God which the prayers of all the saints can never draw dry. 
fullness of grace and mercy in God, which all of our prayers can never draw dry like a well. Whatever we may ask or think to ask, (laughs) still God is still able to do more, abundantly more, exceedingly abundantly more. Open thy mouth ever so wide, still he hath wherewithal to fill it. So Jesus said, if anyone thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he was talking about people coming to him in knowledge, understanding, and hunger, and coming to him and drinking in his spirit, being filled with the spirit. Because he said, out of their belly, out of their innermost being would flow rivers of living water, rivers of living water. So I'm going to tell you here today, God is able and willing to forgive your sin. He has the resources according to the word of God. God is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He has the strength to forgive. He wants your joy to be full. So we turn our attention here today to Acts 2 and verse number 38. And when those who were standing on that first century day of Pentecost asking what they must do to be saved, Peter told them, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission or the sending away, the forgiveness of sin. And you shall receive the gift. God's spirit he is great in my soul today I want him to be great in your soul today how many of you want to say God grip me by your greatness right now Lord never let me be let go Lord never let me be let go or released in Jesus name I pray that today God you would help me to be gripped by your greatness Jesus we thank you for the cross thank you Lord for your blood that was shed thank you for the greatness of your sacrifice Thank you for the greatness of your mercy. The greatness of your compassion. Lord, we thank you this morning for the greatness of your hand that has reached into our lives and drawn us to this service this morning. Lord, we thank you for the greatness of our God and the greatness of your drawing to bring us into your presence. God, we are so unworthy and you are so worthy. We're so small and you're so great, God. Lord, we're so powerless, but you are almighty.